Auntie, I'm making a hundred sweet and sour ribs. What are you doing for yours? Bunting, said Becky succinctly. Fifty metres of it, can you believe it? What am I like? What about you, Nina? I took a deep breath. Come on, Nina. We're not having a street party, but I am going to watch it. My stepfather's making coronation chicken and calling it royal wedding chicken instead. Sue and Becky smiled happily and we chatted for a while, or rather they did, and I nodded and pretended to listen, while periodically my eyes stole to the clock on the wall. Fake teak and brass, ordered by me at Brian's request to match the fixtures and fittings in the rest of the office. 4.53pm. 4.55pm. For the hundredth time since lunch I wondered, with a thrill of fear and panic, about the woman in the red tights. Was she still at the library? Would she be there tomorrow when I went back, at the same place? Was she mad? Was I? She had to be mad. I've seen the newspaper reports of his death. I wished I'd said that instead. Ask my mother, left with no money and a six-month-old baby. He's dead, trust me. Sue had segued from the situation with the ribs to the latest rumours in today's Daily Mail about Carol Middleton's hat when Brian Robson... My boss and one of the partners, not the footballer, as he introduced himself to everyone, appeared with a dictation tape. Hey, Nina, can you type these up before you go home? Sure, how many? Five, but one's a little bit complicated. Is that okay, my dear? Of course, I said gratefully, grabbing the tape and sliding it into the dictaphone, putting in my earpieces, mouthing apologies to Sue. I liked Brian because he loved talking about books. He was a big fan of Dickens, but mostly because he was a nice man. He'd handled my divorce, and I'd applied for the job here after he'd mentioned it to me during our first meeting. Six months after I'd joined Goring's and realised it was a terrible mistake, but that I couldn't leave without somewhere to go, and I had nowhere to go, no job prospects at all, nothing except an abandoned PhD. Brian had found me crying at my curved reception desk, which stood at the front of the second-floor offices. I think this was around the time Sue found me crying in the loo. I suppose I cried a bit after the divorce. Brian hadn't said anything. He didn't need to talk all the bloody time, unlike some people. He had patted my shoulder and handed me a large cotton handkerchief. What's up? he'd said conversationally. Everything. I'd said melodramatically, and then after wiping my eyes and blowing my nose heartily on his handkerchief, I'd half-handed it back to him, and we'd both laughed. I'll wash this. I'll bring it back tomorrow. Like Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Don't you worry. I must say I've no idea why a girl like you is working here, he'd said enigmatically, patting my shoulder again. But I'm very glad anyway. A girl like you. It didn't sound like a compliment. That's the trouble. Brian had three children and lived in Alperton, and was a cricket umpire at the Ealing Cricket Club on the weekends. Sue lived in Ealing, next to the Chinese school, helped out at her family's restaurant, specialising in Hunan cuisine in Ealing Common in the evenings, and was a grandmother of five, all of whom lived nearby. Even Becky, who was only a year older than me, was married and pregnant and had just moved to Acton from Hanwell where she'd grown up.
They each loved their West London lives, hurrying out of the city back to quiet, straight, leafy streets. Becky had told me she couldn't wait to move further out and have a proper garden. Who wants to live in London? she'd said. All that noise, all those people. Wouldn't it be lovely to feel like you're in the English countryside? But I knew nothing about the English countryside, except what I'd gleaned from books. I'd never really been anywhere outside London, apart from holidays to various beaches when I was little, which were invariably a disaster, as my East Coast American mother didn't really understand British holidays, along with many other things about life in this country. We'd sit on a mingy towel smuggled out from our B&B in the freezing cold on a thin strip of damp sand, watching families play ball, put up windbreaks, eat complicated picnics, listen to the Radio 1 roadshow, a cacophony of noise and fun all around, and then us, huddled together like...